0: Welcome to Yolitix, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics.
1: Welcome to another uh, episode of Yolitics. Here, Jason Whiteley with Jason Wheeler. This is fun, man. We not only do we have a a guest like next to us, yes, but we're also out and about. We had to put pants on today to come do this episode. (laughs) We
0: did, uh, and uh, so uh, ironically, the beer that I chose is the Adios
1: Pantalones. (laughs) It's a good beer. You know what that means. I asked you what it meant last time because your 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 wealth of knowledge in Spanish is is second to none. It's goodbye pants. It is. But instead, it
0: really was hello pants today because I had to leave my house, get off of Zoom, and actually come see people in person and like try to sharpen my social skills again, which is really weird. <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> I know you're going to ask.
1: There's a little awkward pause. There, Everybody looked at me like <laughs> really. Still need to keep working on that one. I'm He's, having the. Uh, I'm having the, the dim berries. I'm having the fruit beer today which is normally your your uh your speed here this is, it is. Uh, from revolver which is in granberry it's a blueberry wheat beer and we're at uh toller patio on Ross Avenue yes just uh what east of the skyline in Dallas and it's this hidden gym it's, it's awesome it's it, we've got trees all around us here we're in
0: this courtyard uh tons and tons of uh, really like brightly painted pretty picnic tables with a bunch of umbrellas everywhere and the best part is, we have the place totally to ourselves today. Uh, it's just us and the Southwest Airlines uh, jets that keep going overhead. So if we get interrupted, that's why.
1: That, that and the uh, Dallas Fire Rescue ambulances that are passing by every few minutes as well, too. hope everyone's fine there. But let's get into our, our uh, podcast here. You know, our our uh, boss told us we need to pick things up a, oh. few, a few episodes ago. She said she needs to, you know, make sure that, that we really pay attention to what we're doing and not go down rabbit holes. Can I do a quick note on that or a little rabbit yeah, hole well, real fast? Yeah, go ahead, because uh, <laughs> she said that she does give you praise all the time. The fact, oh she God. BCCs me on the praise. She's actually telling you
0: these things now. Yeah. I did have to do a, 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 a make good, I guess we'll call it, because okay. I said in the last podcast, because you said something about getting a, a, a note from the boss, and I said, I don't get the bad notes, but I don't get good ones either, so it's fine. So the other day, she actually sent something really nice. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's really nice. Thank you. And then right away it's followed with, see, now you can't say that I don't send you the good notes either. And it's like, gosh, was so was this good or was this not
1: good? You got called on the carpet on that, man. Yeah, it was a mix. She loves you, man. She she loves you. She praises you all the time. Oh, I'm glad she does to somebody. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right, let's get to our Let guest another today. Email. <clears throat> we have Teresa Woodard, a reporter at WFAA in Dallas with us. Teresa, uh, well, Wheeler's chowing oh. down on the uh, hatch chili cheese here. That's uh, some good I'll, I'll cheese. Go Which is
2: very good. Oh yeah,
1: God. I'll intro Teresa here. Uh, yeah. Don't mind us, Wheeler. That was a small <laughs> chip. I can still, I can hey, still talk. Hey, if there's
2: chips and queso on the table, you gotta eat. Let's
1: just call her my name. It's good stuff. Uh, so Teresa, she's been on the program before. She's a reporter at WFA in Dallas. And she just interviewed the two Democrats who are running for lieutenant governor in Texas. Right. This is a big deal because it's usually hard to find Democrats to fill some of these statewide uh, roles on the ballot. But this year or next year, actually, for the 2022 cycle, we have two Democrats who are running to replace uh, Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick, of course, has cash. He has uh, a record that that he could uh, run on. And he has been in there for two terms running for his third. And what he says is his final term. But let's get to Teresa. Um, thanks for coming
2: out. Hey, thanks. So you want me to talk politics? I thought yeah. you maybe were gonna have me on to celebrate the Aggie victory. Over Alabama. Oh Did the
1: Aggies play over the weekend? Whoop. Nobody, cele- Nobody celebrates Giggle. that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you have an Sorry, Aggie in the house. just
2: had to gloat for a second. Well, and I'm
0: sure you're feeling extra good because you probably saw what happened in the Cotton Bowl over the
1: weekend as well.
2: Yeah, maybe. We kind we kind of cheer when the Longhorns yeah, lose that, too. That Man. was
1: shocking. Was it like a hundred point game between oh both gosh. of them? hope you went with the shootout. over on that one. Oh my yeah. gosh!
0: Um, here comes one of those planes.
1: Yeah, here here it comes. We'll, we'll let this one pass. Over. A little ambiance. It's kind of nice. Well, what do you expect when you're in the flight pattern here? Our producer picks the, uh, the outside <laughs> patio, and the planes are 1,000 feet overhead. So, Teresa, let's get into uh, Matthew Dowd and Mike Collier. These two are Democrats. They haven't always been Democrats, if you if you listen to both mm-hmm. of them. One of them, Matthew Dowd, we know. Uh, but give us an idea for people who, who don't know who these men are, who may not have seen them on the ballot before, may not have watched them on TV, Who are these guys? Why are they running? And then we're going to get into all the stuff you asked them.
2: I think there's probably millions of Texans who are asking the same thing, Mm because there's a lot of people who say, who's that? Maybe I've seen the name before. Maybe it rings a bell, but they probably don't know a lot about them. Um, So that was actually the first question I asked both of them is just, who are you? Mm. Um, You know, both of them made the point that they are fathers. Of course, family matters to both of them. Uh, they talked about being Texans who are just tired of Texas politics. Mm. Collier talked about being proud to be a UT grad, played in the marching band. He joked that that was the first, the, the best thing he's ever done in his life.
1: And, and uh, right, right away you judged him, didn't you? I, I UT, did. Right? I, it was
2: all downhill from there. Uh, no, but he uh, he also talked about his business acumen and being an auditor. And, and he believes that he brings something to the table because of that. Um, Matthew Dowd, of course, you know, he talked, too, about being a father, a Texan. Um, But talked about how he's worked in politics. He has helped elect people that he believes are good examples of what he wants Texas to be. Um, And he said now it's time to put his own name on the ballot. And he's
0: an interesting animal just because he has flipped back and forth from one party to another. And and especially in this day and age, it's almost like you have a litmus test sometimes on either side, like you're not a, a pure this or a pure that. Maybe some people down the middle, maybe that'll appeal to them.
1: It I don't know. I, I think he's really hoping to capitalize on that, on on the Republicans who might be fed up and, and the Democrats who, who want someone who might be electable. That's what he's mm-hmm. probably hoping to capitalize on. And of course, as you said, too, Mike Collier is uh, an accountant by trade. Mm-hmm. Um, And then uh, Matthew Dowd, he has a history in politics. He worked for Lieutenant Governor Bob Bullock back in the 90s. And and, Ann Richards. And and Governor Ann Richards as well. Senator
0: Lloyd Benson, the last Democratic senator uh, for this state uh, in Congress.
1: Yeah, and he's bragging on that, that that he was around and he helped get these people elected. And, of course, in 2000 is when he switched over. Right. uh, Because he worked. Next to and alongside, he said, uh, then-Governor George W. Bush.
2: And he said he believed that George W. Bush was the kind of man who could bring people together and cross the aisle. And that's what we heard a lot of back in 99, for those of us who were old Mm -hmm. enough to cover those types of things back then, which I think all three of us were. Um, But we heard a lot about that. And that was something that Matthew Dowd said he appreciated and believed. And so he was on board with George W. Bush's presidential campaign. And then um, he says they had a very public split. After uh, Iraq and after some sort of um, indications that bringing people together maybe wasn't what George W. Bush was all about in Washington, D.C. So at that point, he left the Republican Party, became an independent. People who watch ABC News have probably seen him. He's been a consultant um, and and sort of a talking head on ABC for a number of years. Um, And now he's... You know, he's running. He's running in Texas. Yeah, he
1: left ABC, what, late last year, early this year? I believe so. Um, in, in order to what finish his book and do other Correct. things, he says he didn't know if he was going to run for office. And, of course, here he is running for office.
2: He said that if you would have asked him January 1st, he would have said, no way, I'm running for office. After January 6th, Mm. He said, that's what I've got to do.
0: That was a turning point. Uh, And Collier is interesting in the sense that in this, you know, pretty heavily red state, he ran the last time against Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. And did uh, in in some circles surprisingly well. He came within five points, less than five points of uh, Dan Patrick in this you know reliably red state. So he's he's shown that he can get out there and get people energized at least to that level.
1: Yeah, and and obviously 2018 when he ran last time was a little unusual because right. there was a, an unknown congressman from. Um, El Paso, Beto O'Rourke, who had just completely energized everyone. Of course, Collier will say that he outperformed right. Beto in many counties, uh, the rural counties, in, in the rural counties of which Beto also campaigned. He made a you know made it known that he had been to all 254 counties. The question for for uh, Collier is, can he number one get past the primary, mm-hmm. and then secondly. Can he do that again? Perhaps can he, you know, go further than that and add to it? Yeah, and add and add to it. Well, let's let's get to enough of us talking. Let's hear from some of the candidates themselves. So, Teresa, you had a whole list of questions that you asked both men. One guy you actually interviewed here at uh, Toller Patio. Yeah,
2: that was Mike Collier. We we uh, sat down with him here uh, in the, the same patio area right before he was having uh, a fundraiser um, here in the Dallas area at this location. Um, he had several fundraisers in the North Texas area, and and, and actually Dow did as well. So that's how we were able to get both of them. They were doing some of their swings through the area. But, yeah, so after asking them who the heck they are, Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to zero in on on what they believe. And so um, the first question was, you know, what are the two biggest problems facing Texas, and how do you solve them?
3: Well, we absolutely have to fix the grid. There's no question about it. I had been concerned about the grid because it was designed improperly many years ago. And we all know that the state was outgrowing it. And so we were having less and less backup reserves. And we all knew that we would soon be in a situation where it couldn't keep up on a hot summer day. I didn't realize that we had a problem in the winter, too. We've been ignoring that. So we have to do two things fundamentally. Uh, Change the incentive structure so that companies invest in backup generation. We need extra generation so that we can meet the demand on a hot day in the summer. And then we have to winterize not just winterize the electrical gear, but we have to winterize gas production. So it seems simple. That's not hard. However, what's hard is the political will to do that because we're talking about billions of dollars. And then finally, when we do do those things, we have to make sure who pays for it. It has to be fair. And so it can't all land on consumers. It has to be shared equally by those that consume power, including the commercial and industrial users.
2: That's one problem. What do you think is the second biggest problem?
3: Well, property taxes. You can't talk about property taxes without talking about public schools, and you can't talk about public schools without talking about property taxes because the two are inextricably linked. We do not have enough funding for our public education, but we're also paying property taxes that are too high, and it's unfair. I campaigned hard on that in 2018, and I know why the problem is. The problem is that the state is not doing its job. The state is deliberately putting the cost of education onto homeowners' backs and small businesses. We're paying more, the state is paying less, and therefore we get increasing property tax bills, but we don't see any improvement in terms of funding in education. And so there's a real lack of fairness in our tax system. And remember, I'm a CPA. I mean, I am an auditor, I get lied to for a living, so I know how these pieces fit together. And a big part of my campaign is like, let's be honest, let's be transparent, let's make it fair. And we will, at the same time, solve the property tax problem and solve the public education funding problem.
0: Early on in this uh, podcast here, we already have the line of the podcast, I get lied to for a living.
3: <laughs> right. That
0: it, makes a lot of
1: sense, though. So that'd be a lie, careers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, you know, what I? What jumps out to me there is he is uh, right away picking out two things that are on the minds, I think, of a lot of Texans. A lot of people haven't forgotten what happened in February, and they're certainly not going to forget about those property taxes as we head through the end of the year here And, you know, I think that this state lucked out uh, in that we had a mild uh, summer. Right. Because that uh, grid didn't get tested like it might normally in a really hot summer. But the question is, do we go through the winter without uh, going through that all over again? Because, you know, there's a lot of speculation, you know, that the legislature just didn't quite do what it should have done there to protect it from happening again. Uh, Yeah, I
1: don't think that's speculation. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that the legislature didn't do enough to physically do that, but...
3: Well, let's we'll, just say we'll, I don't want to go we'll, through it we'll again. Wait and None see, of us we'll do. wait and see what happens yeah, uh, you yeah. know,
1: th- this, this next winter. What, what's your takeaway from that, Teresa?
2: Heavy policy answer, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that that is an answer that, like you said, Jason speaks directly to, uh, tell me how you're going to change my life, how you're going to make my life better, and that is with property tax reform and with making sure that the lights stay on and the heat stays on and the AC stays on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was, to me, a very heavy policy answer. I'll tell you, I've heard Mike Collier been... He's been called a nerd before. I don't think he would shy away from that. Wonk, I think, is probably what he would, would much more appreciate. Who called him a nerd? Uh, I, I, a Democratic <laughs> consultant. Okay. I can't remember which uh, one it was. But, and I think it was a it was uh, actually a compliment. It okay. wasn't it wasn't a criticism. It's a
0: good thing to be a nerd.
2: Sometimes you need a little bit of nerdiness, right? You need a little wonkiness in, in politics instead of all the flash.
0: And so do you see a difference in these two guys? We're going to hear from Matthew Dowd yeah. now. Uh, it, it seems like Collier took us right down into the issues.
2: Right down into it. And... Uh, Matthew Dowd, of course, agrees that fixing the grid and property taxes is a problem. But when it came to his answer to that question, it was slightly different.
4: So I think the biggest overall problem is a lack of leadership and a lack of Texas values that are shared by our statewide leaders. Uh, they don't. They don't. They're not people of integrity. They don't serve the public. Uh, they're not interested in the common good. And I don't think they treat everybody with the same dignity and decency. So it's an overall lack of complete leadership on behalf of most Texans here. They only appeal to a tiny group of people that happen to vote in a Republican primary and that's all they're interested in. And I think most Texans are ill-served by the leadership. All of that is manifests itself in many different issues. It manifests itself in a lack of fixing the electric grid, which all of us suffered through. I lost power and water for eight days where I was from. They didn't fix the electric grid because it didn't seem like they were interested in what all Texans were going through. And then they've made an assault on rights, voting rights, a woman's right to decide uh, over her own body, and guns, and how they've approached guns in this state. So to me, it's a complete lack of Texas values in Austin among the GOP. And it again, it, it shows itself in how they've confronted all these issues. What they've seen, which they've seemed to have gone against the entire best interest of Texans as a whole.
2: So, if, if lack of leadership is problem number one, what would you say is problem number two?
4: Um, the inability to uh, appeal to all Texans and not just a select group in the state. And so, instead of only having the same people at the table, which is not diverse. Uh, both opinion and the way they look, whether it's women, people of color. um, They only have a select group that all believes the same exact thing, which, again, I don't think is in the interest of all Texans. So I think it's leadership. And then I think it's they have no interest in the common good.
2: So you can see there there is some daylight between them. I mean, clearly, Matthew Dowd also says the grid. I mean, he brings that up as an issue. He brings up um, abortion rights. He brings up guns. Um, But he says that leadership and then not representing Texas as a whole is, those are the two biggest problems.
1: It was interesting that he, that he had a, a little less policy. Correct. Less of a wonk there, uh, and, and some more hot-button issues. He talked but about gun rights, voting I th- rights. I
2: think that, that that those two things still matter to Texans. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Jason, we were saying earlier that, you know, uh, the grid and property tax reform, that's huge. That's how you're going to change my life. But when you think about... What pisses you off in the state of Texas? Maybe it's about leadership. Maybe it's about uh, the fact that there are, you know, white men running the state. And and, and
1: that's uh, some of the things he mentioned is what's going to drive people to the polls. Right. Voting issues, uh, abortion. These are huge things that the Democrats are hoping to capitalize on right now to actually get people to the polls, whether they will be, you know, next year this time. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But it was interesting that, that he hit on that. He has the political background. He knows these things mm-hmm. that because he helped, you know, Bullock and Richards and, and George W. Bush's 2004 re-election campaign. He, he gets that part of it. I thought that was interesting that, that he really kind of seized on some of those things that, that are taking off a lot of Democratic voters right now.
0: Well, and we're getting thick uh, right away into this, talking about abortion and guns. And, and both of those will probably both weigh heavily uh, in, in 2022.
1: But, the, the, you know, the, the question you asked, though, are, are what are the two biggest problems in your mm-hmm. eyes you didn't ask them how they would fix it and they didn't volunteer how they would well fix i did it.
2: say how do you solve them And you're right.
1: Um, Which is, uh, nothing against the question, but it's interesting that neither of them said, this is what I would do.
2: Collier got a little bit into the fairness issue when it comes to um, who's going to pay for weatherizing and winterizing um, Mm -hmm. when it comes to the grid. Right. Um, Collier got a little bit into um, property taxes aren't fair because the state's not paying its fair share, but Dow did not. I think, you know, of course I I shouldn't insert myself in what I think he was saying, but um, the takeaway when he's criticizing leadership, I think, is him saying, if you elect me, I can fix that.
1: Mm. Yeah, I alone can fix it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he to did me- not say that. <laughs> I know.
0: And, and to be fair there, uh, I've seen the billboards from Don Huffines, who is running uh, on the right uh, against Governor Abbott in the primary. And I've seen that billboard that says, you know, something along the lines of get rid of property taxes. OK, well, what can you give me a billboard of what you would replace that with, though, too?
1: which which is the million dollar question, because, you know, the it, many millions. It, absolutely. Every every city, every hospital district, every mud, every right. School district—they all say we're going to lower your yep. your effective property tax rate, and they do it by a couple of cents. Yep. I think the city of Dallas did what twenty cents, something like that. And
0: every several years, we keep hearing out of Austin that we're going to fix this, we're going to you know yeah. do better, we're going to replace this. And every year, you get that bill, and it just goes up and up and Absolutely.
1: up. Absolutely, they they lower the effective property tax rate, but your property value goes up, and so at the end of the day you're still paying more. But let, let's get into some specifics here, Teresa, because you you talked to both of them. Uh, about a number of very specific issues. The first was guns.
2: Yeah, well, to set the scene, um, we interviewed Mike Collier on... Wednesday afternoon, Mm -hmm. in the hours after uh, there had been a school shooting in um, Mansfield ISD here in North Texas, in Arlington, the city of Arlington that was in Mansfield ISD. So that was clearly top of mind. Uh, And we interviewed Matthew Dowd about 24 hours after that. So that was a question that I think um, you have to ask, especially when that happens in the state. And it was the second school shooting to happen in less than a week. One happened down in Houston as well. Um, So that's what we said. You know, how do you. How do you keep people, not just school kids, but but people in general, safe from gun violence while protecting the Second Amendment? How do you address keeping not only school kids, but the general public safe from gun violence while still respecting the Second Amendment in a state where that is so important?
3: Well, I think the Second Amendment's important to everybody. All the amendments are important to everybody, and they ought to be. First of all, where did that young person get that gun? Now, do we have laws so that you're responsible with your gun? I mean, owning a gun is a right. Owning a gun is also a responsibility. So how did that young person get that gun? Why did they not know that he had that gun? And there's so many other things. What's the psychological frame? Uh, There's just so many things that you'd have to do. It's not an easy problem to solve, don't get me wrong. It's a hard problem to solve. But I ask the question, have our policymakers really done anything? I mean, they offer thoughts and prayers every time, but do they actually do anything? And so we're in a situation now where kids are worried when they go to school, they're gonna get shot. When I was a kid, I didn't worry about getting shot and it just breaks my heart. And so uh, where, there's a will there, where there's a will, there's a way. And I'm very dissatisfied with our leaders that they haven't done, almost haven't done anything to solve this problem, the danger is real. But we have to respect the second amendment and I do. So what would you do? Well, I think we, a, we need to have a background check system that works. And by the way, I get a lot of good feedback from Moms to Band Action that you might be aware of. them. It's a national organization. These are mothers who are concerned about their children in schools. They've got a very good idea as to what we should do. Background check system that works, that would be huge. Red flag laws, that would be huge. There's talk of having safes so that if you have a gun, you're responsible for that gun, keep it in a safe. And perhaps the liability should follow the gun owner and if that makes any sense. So if you own a gun and something terrible happens with the gun that you own, perhaps you ought to be on the hook for this. So, and then there's, there's um, uh, making sure that we understand when kids come and go, we don't want to militarize. I don't agree that you're hard in schools and have them walk through metal detectors. Nobody wants that. You don't want to militarize our schools, but we also, you know, maybe clear backpacks, maybe more counselors, maybe more training. There's just so many things of this nature that we need to do more psychological help, um, they, all these things have to be done, and they have to be done, you know, well, and they have to be done in a thoughtful manner. And you don't, we're, we're not talking about infringing on the Second Amendment when we say these things, but these things have to happen. So, to reiterate what he says there.
2: And that's Mike Collier, by the way. That, I don't think I said his name before. That was Mike Collier, yeah.
1: Him. He supports the Second Amendment. He said that several times. You had to press him, though, on specifics, Teresa.
2: Yeah, and, and I think. Um, you know, you're not going to hear a lot of daylight between him and Matthew Dowd on the answer to the gun rights question. Mm-hmm. It's pretty similar.
1: I thought what was interesting, though. Um, we've heard about the red flag laws right. background checks at work. Th- these things aren't Aren't that uncommon from even Republicans.
2: There was a time when it felt like that was maybe going to happen in the state yeah. of Texas, and that wasn't too long ago.
1: After the El Paso shooting at the right. Walmart, there, that's when uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said some things like that. He he upset the uh, NRA, and and Patrick didn't care. He said that that's that's the uh, th- that's where I stand. The liability following the gun owner. That's interesting. That would obviously require a gun owner to make sure his or her. Firearms are kept in a safe place and can't be accessed. But if my house gets broken into, someone takes my little safe or whatever and gets a you know gets weapons. Right, that would you know it, it would it would be a cause for alarm jason
0: so he did put some specifics out there uh but uh, kept on going back to uh, supporting the second amendment right. as well just to, you know because we know that the ads you know will start coming right. out uh and and it'll make it look like you know you're the biggest enemy ever to the second amendment and they are running in texas, texas. and so uh, there's some learning that happens there to go okay hey i'm in support of second amendment here's what i want to do to be common sense
1: so that was my call here Let, let's uh let's get to matthew dowd so Teresa, you asked him the same question, it was set up the same way because we had just had that shooting in Arlington slash Mansfield at the high school there, and uh, you asked him the same question. Where, where does he stand? What would he do on gun rights?
4: So this to me is, a, is a, a huge issue because it goes to exactly what I'm talking about, about leadership and doing what's in the best interest of the common good. We've had more mass shootings in the last 10 years than we've ever had in this state schools and Walmarts and churches and all the places that that's happened. We're at the highest point of that. We had 3,500 people last year killed uh, by gun violence, uh, died by gun violence in this state. And what was the re- Republican leadership and the man I'm running against, Dan Patrick's response to that, was make it easier for people to carry guns without a permit or a license, the permitless carry bill, instead of some common sense gun reform. I'm a gun owner. I own five guns. I have three shotguns and two rifles. So I believe in the Second Amendment. But I also believe there are basic things you can do in response to this that shows we're a state that cares about life, that cares about the safety of kids and teachers and anybody that happens to be in in any public gathering. Making guns more accessible and making them without training and making them without a permit is only going to make our state more violent and more dangerous to people. And so I I have three things that I would want to do. First is red flag laws. It's insane that we don't have red flag laws, which means if somebody has a gun and they're either mentally unstable or a danger to themselves or others, that somebody can report that to a judge and a judge can make a decision to temporarily r- remove the gun from the household to protect people. We need universal background checks with no loopholes, that everybody should have to go through a process, whether you buy a gun at a regular gun store or at a flea market or at a pawn shop uh, or wherever, there ought to be universal uh, gun laws in this state. <clears throat> and the third thing is we should roll back this permitless carry thing. Most Republicans if you gave them truth serum think it's outrageous that we've done this anyway. Democrats think it's it's outrageous, independents think it's outrageous, and the majority of Texans, the vast majority of Texans by 80% support those three three things. So to me, if we're going to do something and try to stop the rise of gun violence, we at least ought to try some things. And those three things, I think, are basic to show and
1: demonstrate that we're interested in the safety of people as they gather. Some very sub- uh, specific territory. So he, he laid out three things. And one I haven't heard before, which is rollback permitless carry, which just passed in the regular legislative session.
2: Yeah, that's that was um, the one difference between the two that he specifically said that. I didn't ask Mike Collier if he would do that, right. uh, but but Dowd is the one who volunteered that he would do that. Hmm. But, you know, I just want to say I think it was telling um, that he was trying to appeal to Texans by saying, hey, I'm a gun owner. I right. own five guns myself. I think he was trying to say, I'm not, you know, anti-gun. Right. I, I understand and I respect the Second Amendment and I know where we live. But he was trying to say, however, we can do a few things to, to try to uh, make people safer. It's the same thing mind. we just
0: talked about with Collier there. Right. It's, it's that, you know, painting as you know, quote unquote, common sense reforms. Uh, but I believe in the Second Amendment. I actually own guns. But he, that is a pretty bold uh, thing to say that he would roll back permitless carry.
1: And, of course, permitless carry is, is the law that just passed where you don't have to have any training at mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. in order to carry a firearm in public. And and uh, doubt is right. There, there were a number of Republicans for years. The reason this didn't pass years right. ago is a number of Republicans, they've been in control of the state for 20 years. They did not support this on a broader scale. Finally, the groundswell, uh, you know, Rose and it finally got passed here in this. And state. there was a
0: whole parade of uh, police chiefs and and others in law enforcement who all over the state came to Austin to say, "Please don't do this." So that's interesting to see if you know you know maybe Dowd uh, picks up some support in those ranks.
1: So j- just for the record here too, bo- both Democrats support the Second Amendment. Yes. And and uh, Dowd was saying he owns five guns. Wh- what's the old saying? Never tell a man
3: how, how many, many gu- guns you how own. many
1: guns you own. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and Dow just uh, just re- spilled no, the beans. Yeah, he, he spilled the beans. So you, you haven't heard that, Teresa? You looked at me like you never heard that before. How many guns do you have, Teresa? Don't I, answer it.
2: I'm not going to answer that question.
1: <laughs> don't tell him. <laughs> All right. So these guys aren't too far apart on each on each other uh, or, or aren't too far apart on the issues. How are they on each other? That's, well, that's where you went next.
2: Yeah. And this is interesting. Um, you know, Mike Collier, I don't know that he expected to draw a primary opponent, but he did. And so clearly they're running against each other, right? And so that was the question to ask him. Um, what do you think of Matthew Dowd? Why did you draw this opponent?
3: Well, I didn't, uh, it's not the least bit surprising that I would draw a primary challenger. This is one of the most important you know, political positions in the state, if not the country. I've been working on this, as you know, for eight years. Um, it was clear to me when I got started in 2013 because the state is so large and complex, it's gonna take time and effort. Uh, And so I knew that when we got close, and we're now close, others would like to sail in and say, I'd like to have that job. Hmm. Um, I didn't think that it would be somebody who's mostly a Republican. I'll let him answer your questions when you talk to him. But it doesn't change anything that I'm doing. The key to success is to keep doing what I've been doing for years, which is see the whole state, and which I'm doing now, go see all of my friends, and I've got thousands of them all over the state, make new friends, talk about the issues that we face as Texans and earn people's trust and earn their vote.
0: Okay, you could say in some places that them's fighting words uh, to say that that your Democratic challenger is, quote unquote, mostly a Republican. In Texas, though, that might actually help doubt that Collier branded him that way.
1: Good point. Good point. So let, let's take a quick break, but we have a lot more to come up, especially with where Dowd stands on Collier. While
0: we're taking this quick break to hear from our sponsor, though, maybe, Jason, you could shift down to your left. You've got like six feet of picnic table there in the shade, and <laughs> Port Teresa is out in the sun. What, like, where are your manners? She's
1: getting a tan here. I invited her to my side of the table. My you didn't goodness. invite her over there, man. We're
2: social distancing. We'll
1: order another round and come back with Teresa Woodard talking to Matthew Dowd and uh, Mike Collier, the two Democrats running for lieutenant governor in the state. A race which is likely to drive out Democrats to the polls. is given give them, give them a, a reason to show up at the Democratic primary. Back in just a moment.
0: All right. And we are back uh, just to reset uh, here. We are at the Toller patio in uh, just east of the Dallas skyline and uh, uh, Ross Avenue beautiful day out here we've got the whole courtyard to ourselves in here uh, I don't know what our budget is now did we rent out this whole place we did, we did. or is we're, it we're, just we're, that the, the crowd hasn't gotten here we're putting
1: yet. it on your card too <laughs> so yeah we, we asked him how to pronounce the name of the place so we, so we could you know correctly uh, you know tell our listeners how to how to pronounce it and he said Toller like the duck yeah uh. And we all went, oh, yeah. so there's a. Do yeah, I so there have to be a I, I don't know. Is, is, is Maybe uh, one of our listeners who's a hunter will, will he, know. He what said that it is. so
0: matter of fact yeah, that we I felt just, like, like we should know, even if we're not hunters. And so we all just nodded, like, oh, yeah, of course, of course, of, of course, taller the tall duck. duck,
1: yeah. Why didn't I think yeah. of that? I don't know. Uh, so, uh, Teresa Woodard, still it's with us? It's
2: actually a dog, not a duck.
1: Oh, oh, he said dog. We I mean, started drinking at that point. Wow. We, we thought he said duck. It's wow. a
2: Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever.
0: I'm glad that you didn't say, do you shoot those? Do at least hunt that's, those? What, no. that's what the Google right. says. Okay, so it's a dog. The toller dog. That that You learned something new. It. See, this is why we need to be out of our houses and off the Zoom and in person, because we, we're learning stuff.
1: This is also why our boss says, just get to it. <laughs> just, just, just stay on it. Stay. <laughs> Stay point and get to okay, it. Okay, so, so let me get, get back to, to it,
0: it here, so I'll get another good email from her. Uh, so we've got Teresa Woodard here with us from WFAA. Again, uh, just to let you know, she t- spoke with both candidates on the Democratic side who are running for lieutenant governor uh, next year to try to unseat uh, incumbent Republican Dan Patrick. Just a moment ago, we heard from Mike Collier on Matthew Dowd. It's only fair that turnabout is uh, fair play here, and we get to ask Dowd about Collier now. And you spoke to him specifically about the path to victory here.
2: Yeah, I had to ask him clearly to respond to his opponent calling him mostly a Republican. And, you know, the answer was that he's not necessarily running against Mike Collier. It's interesting. Take a listen. Hmm. Um, Mike Collier ran in 2018, came relatively close. Uh, He has structure in place. So where do you see your path to victory? If, if he came close, didn't quite get it done, and he's building on that, what's your path to victory? So
4: I'm going to spend the next, I think it's now 395 days until Election Day in November telling the truth and running against Dan Patrick. I'm not going to run against Mike Collier or anybody else that might happen to file. Um, to me, this race isn't about Mike Collier or another Democrat. It's about what the Republicans have done in the legislature. And I'm going to go on the on the trail, which I've already been. Uh, came from San Antonio the other day. Was in Waco, um, um, in Dallas, Fort Worth. Going to go to East Texas, West Texas, the border, South Texas. And I'm just going to show Texans and Texas Democrats what are my values are. And it's going to be up to them to make that decision that who's the best candidate to go against Dan Patrick and who can win. I think I've demonstrated in my history I have ability to win races, um, and. Voters are just going to ask, they have to ask themselves and decide who they want, who shares their values, but who can win in November.
2: Uh, you said you're not going to run against Mike Collier. Mike Collier is running against you. Uh, yesterday, when I, when I spoke with him, he, he said he called you mostly a Republican. How do you respond to that?
4: So, I mean, it's a one again. One, I'm not going to run against Mike Collier in this race at all. Uh, but I would just like, Mike Collier should look at his own history. Um, I left the Republican Party way before Mike Collier ever left the Republican Party. Um, he's a m- much more newer person to this process than I am to this process. Um, I le- elected the last Democratic lieutenant governor and the last Democratic governor, the last time Texans Texas Democrats held power in the state. I was intimately involved in it and won. Um, and so... He's going to just have to ask himself, is it in his best interest, and the interest of Texas Democrats, to run against me? Or is it our goal to beat Dan Patrick? My goal is to beat Dan Patrick. I said from the beginning, I'm not going to run a negative campaign uh, or attack Mike Collier. I'm going to stick to that for every day. I'm not going to spend a dollar running against Mike
1: Collier or attacking Mike Collier. To me, this race is about Dan Patrick. He's not going to spend a dollar running against Mike Collier. I, I, I can't imagine that. You know, it always
0: starts out that way. You know, we're going to keep a real clean campaign. We're not going to go dirty, blah, blah, blah. And by the time it's all said and done, the gloves are off and there's lots of mud being slung there. I am curious to see, though, if that holds true, that will be a fascinating dynamic in this election. Put a pin in this one, because if they can manage these two candidates to not just go all out war on each other and instead to focus on their common enemy, Dan Patrick, boy, think about how different that might look. You know, we might have a a really messy primary for the governor's race here in Texas. And you wonder, might that turn off some voters if you have really messy uh, in that race? And then you see this lieutenant governor's race where, you know, things are, you know, pretty gentlemanly, uh, as it were, in politics.
2: I lost track of how many times he said he's not running against mike collier he made sure that that answer was in multiple multiple was said multiple times but but
1: as you said mike collier is running against yeah. him and yeah. as soon as matthew dowd announced he was running for lieutenant governor about 10 days ago collier came out within an hour or so and sent out a press release just going after him hmm. uh, asking whether texas democrats were really like a republican uh, a former republican etc so collier's on the attack collier knows they're there could be a threat here. At the end of the day, it's all about cash. Who has enough cash to get their message out to 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 establish their name, their own name ID? And you did ask a little bit about, about that. Did, did either of them say how much money they need to run in this race? Did they give you specifics at they all? They did really not said,
2: give specifics, but they did specifically say they don't need to match Dan Patrick because they said uh, people know who he is. Any money we spend is about trying to get him out of office. So Dan Patrick has name recognition. They don't need to, to match his his fundraising. They need to spend money attacking Dan Patrick.
1: And one of the things you asked uh, Matthew Dowd there just a moment ago was about him uh, being a Republican for seven years. Uh, I want to skip ahead to, to to this topic here. So Matthew Dowd spent from 2000 to 2007 working for uh, former uh, Governor George W. Bush, then President uh, George W. Bush in the White House before they had that split, as you mentioned earlier. And
2: helped get him elected is mm-hmm. important to note, too. He, he
1: essentially ran the 2004 reelection campaign in, in which uh, Bush defeated John Kerry. But why did he change parties? And that's something you wanted to know.
2: Absolutely. You were a Democrat yeah. in the 90s, a Republican in the early 2000s. You're running now as a Democrat again. There may be some Democrats out there who are skeptical of who you are. So explain how you can make this switch.
4: So the, the, it's all about my values, and in the 90s, when I worked for Bullock and Ann Richards, which I call myself a Ann Richards, Bob Bullock, Democrat, is who I am, I got to know then-Governor Bush and watched how he worked across the aisle with a Democratic lieutenant governor, a Democratic speaker. I thought we could do the same thing when he asked me to work for him for president, um, which is the first time I had worked for a Republican. We could do the same thing in, in a very dysfunctional Washington. It didn't turn out that way. I had a very public break with President Bush over the war, and the fact that the country was more divided. Uh, became an independent at that point, was out of the politics in that way, in partisanship way. But I think in over the aftermath of the last five years, but especially January 6th and the insurrection at the Capitol, and then what the Texas GOP legislature and statewide officials have done, I've come to the conclusion that the only vehicle that exists today with the two main political parties to sort of save democracy, and uh, reinvigorate the Constitution is through the Democratic Party right now. I don't think that exists today in the Republican Party. I hope. I think we benefit by having two vibrant, enlightened political parties that doesn't exist today. So in my view, the only path to the promised land of having a a state that pays attention to the Constitution and the rights of everyone and works in the common good is the Democratic Party. And that's why I'm running.
2: I think that's an interesting answer. It's kind of owning what he's done. uh, And it's basically saying... You know, January sixth woke me up, and I said, "If I want to make a change, I've gotta, I've gotta put my name in the ring."
0: And it's explaining uh, further out when your opponent is saying that you're mostly a Republican. It's explaining really where you've been on 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 the spectrum.
2: And I will say, neither of these candidates, based on the the questions and answers that we experienced with them, neither of these are progressive Democrats. Right. Very moderate, very down the road. And I think that Matthew Dowd is trying to say, hey. Yes, I've had an R behind my name before, but I'm a Democrat because I believe in A, B, and C.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Texas Democrats aren't as progressive as Democrats in other parts of the country, obviously because of where they live.
0: Well, you know, and I thought it's interesting. He's, He's done this several times now, Dowd has, where he is not afraid to name drop and talk about the big name Democrats he was responsible for helping in this state. Back when this state used to elect some statewide Democrats... Uh, So it's interesting that he keeps going back to that experience. But, of course, Mike Collier has his own bucket of experience to draw from. And that is what we alluded to earlier, where in 2018, I thought he got maybe uncomfortably close as far as Dan Patrick is concerned.
2: I've heard reports that Dan Patrick on election night was uncomfortable, most definitely, by how close it was. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, that was one thing we did want to know from Mike Collier is what went right What went wrong? What lessons did you learn? What would you change going forward?
3: I now know the difference between, uh, I now know the importance of having a very, very robust, skilled, professional campaign operation. So when I ran in 2018, uh, it was not uh, a robust uh, campaign operation. And I didn't really realize until it was over. And I thought, well, if I had just uh, had uh, more support, more technical support, more funding, et cetera, Uh, I served as President Biden, then Vice President Biden, senior advisor for his campaign in Texas, where I saw a world-class campaign operation up and running. And not only that, but I met many of the folks that worked on that campaign, all of whom, or many of whom, have come across to help me. It's a big, complicated state. It's hard to get your message out. You're competing against so many other concerns, and it takes a very sophisticated campaign operation to do that. This time, I have that. He has it this time,
1: but it, 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 it's, it's going to be fascinating to see where they can do anything with that yeah. this time. And he, he, made, has-
2: he did make the point that some of the people who worked on uh, President Biden's campaign have joined his staff. Hmm. And also, he said some people who have worked for AOC... Uh, when it comes to making ads and things like that, have joined his staff as well. So he is trying to say, we're more organized.
0: But so much of it is driven by the top of the ticket. And so I I think that we've waited purposely all the way to the very end here because we're sure to get an email about that. The boss likes when we get right to it as well. (laughs) But I I, I decided we should savor it and wait to ask the question that everybody's been asking. Who is going to step up on the Democratic side in Texas and put their name out there for governor? We think we know who it is, but it hasn't happened yet. And every time it seems like we ask someone, "Who do you prefer to run?" They just sort of, you know, sidestep and I don't know. And let's just see where it goes and this and that. You ask both of these candidates this, and,
1: and this is an important question to ask because this is the, this person could really drive the turnout. You know, the, the the lieutenant governor is usually the second. It's not usually the lieutenant governor is the second person on the ballot the main person on the ballot is the governor mike collier a lot of people think he did so well in 2018 because right. beto o'rourke was up top so the question is who do you want to see run for governor and
3: teresa that's something you asked him uh well so beto and our friends beto o'rourke the fellow from el paso perhaps you've heard of him i've heard uh we campaigned together uh in 2018 in a manner of speaking i mean the governor and lieutenant governor are very different constitutional officers. It's not like you know, in federal, it's not like the president and then the other president, the backup president. The two are very different jobs, Uh, but I know Beto well. Uh, I think Democrats love Beto, and I'd like to see him run for governor. I don't know if he's going to or not. You'll have to ask Beto that. But I think for Democrats that are listening, I always hasten to point out that I got more votes than he did in two thirds of the counties in the state. I did very well in rural Texas. He did very well in urban Texas. And so if we work together and compare notes, both of us have statewide campaign experience. It takes a long time to learn how to do this and build your own infrastructure and your network. So I'd really like to run with him, but I don't know who he's going to run. That was Mike Collier.
2: That was Mike Collier.
3: Uh, you know, I, I believe that
0: they're actually friends now, because only with a true friend can you talk about, you know, say I'm great friends with so-and-so, and then talk about how you outperformed them in different places. <laughs> I know. What is Beto going to say when he hears that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it depends and, on if they're really friends. It's a relaxed guy, okay? You got you got closed into 4% here because of me, so I, I don't know, but that's interesting.
2: And you know what? There's not a lot of, I, I keep saying this word, but there's not a lot of daylight between uh, Mike Collier and Matthew Dowd on this answer.
4: Well, Beto is a friend of mine. I've known Beto a long time. I've known Beto since he was on the city council. He's going to make a decision that whether or not he's going to get in the race. I, w- I hope he does, because I think he has a voice in this process that I think would be very strong and very beneficial for the whole ticket. So that's another race the Democratic Party will sort out. But I'm a friend of his. I think he's Done great work on a lot of different things on voting rights. He did great work during the electrical grid electric grid failure in in bringing people together to help solve the problem. So I think he I hope he gets in, um, and I uh, and I look forward if I'm the nominee and he's the nominee of running together. Everybody's friends with Beto. <laughs> everybody. Everyone's friends with At Beto. At least
2: everybody wants to say they're friends with Beto. And my takeaway
1: <laughs> is no one mentioned anybody else. You're right. Exactly. What happened to Matthew McConaughey, people were talking about a few months ago? He made a headline the other day on something. I think he, he, he weighed in on some issue. He
2: finally weighed in on uh, Senate Bill 8, I believe.
1: Everyone's talking about Beto, which tells me if I'm a betting man, I'm putting some cash on Beto.
0: Yeah, because it, you're right. It was all the rage, McConaughey, 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 several months ago. And since then, we haven't heard much. And, and lately, the name that we've been hearing the most is Beto. But generally, it's been people telling us that off the record. Like, right. they're not really wanting to go out there and, and put skin in the game and say it. Both of these candidates are doing yeah, that.
1: Yeah, and you know, another name we'd heard for a while was the Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo. Right. People had mentioned Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins. I haven't been hearing bo- those now, though. You haven't heard them. But both of these guys, who are already running for the number 2 spot, Say say that they would like to see their good buddy, yeah, their best friend, their BFF, <laughs> Beto are Or like family, yeah. And, yeah. you know,
2: um, I did ask them, why lieutenant governor? Why not just run for governor? And both of them made the point that the lieutenant governor in Texas is powerful. Mm-hmm. And some would make the argument it is more powerful uh, mm-hmm. than the governor because they set the agenda. Mm-hmm. And so they both said they understand the power of the office. That is why they want to be in that seat. Uh, you know, again... I don't know that we heard tons of differences between the two. We did talk to them about abortion rights in the state. They both agreed uh, they want for things to look like Roe versus Wade again. Uh, they, they'd like to see SB8 um, off the table mm-hmm. and not be enforced. Um, but you can hear. I mean, there there are subtle differences between them, but both... Uh, just want change in Texas. It is
0: interesting that you make the point, though, about that office and the power that it holds here in this state. I think maybe some people aren't aware of that we didn't pay attention in that seventh-grade Texas history class, right. maybe. But it is—I've uh, heard that many times—that it's actually a more powerful office than the governor of the of the state. I so. have a
2: feeling Greg Abbott would not appreciate hearing that. <laughs>
0: well, but the, the fact—it <laughs> is, is an is, argument that people make. You you do you run you know the, sort of the legislative agenda, which means that Dan Patrick has a lot to run on. He has a record to run on because of that, but he also has a record that makes him vulnerable. And, yeah. and and that's why this this race is so important every time, because this person is somebody who really pulls a lot of levers in Austin.
1: And, and you say he, he sets the legislative agenda. He decides what gets to the floor in, in the Senate. And even if the House passes something, if the Senate doesn't, it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of people thought if the lieutenant governor hears this, a lot, of, you know, he, he'd probably take issue with me. But a lot of people thought for a long time didn't think we we saw this for several years, that one reason that permitless carry didn't get passed in previous sessions, Mm -hmm. obviously passed this session, was the fact that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick was against that Mm -hmm. in previous sessions. Tide changed. Lieutenant Governor's on board with it now. He got it passed uh, in there as well, too. But of course, anybody who wants to take on Dan Patrick or any other Republican incumbent in the state has to have cash Um, and, and neither person, neither Matthew Dowd nor Mike Collier would say how much they think they need to raise to run against Patrick. But I thought it was interesting. One thing Collier told you, he says he doesn't have to keep up with Dan Patrick dollar for dollar. His, his spending, Collier said, talking about Patrick, his spending won't change how people feel about him.
2: And I think, you know, that's, that's a good point. Dan Patrick has been Lieutenant Governor in the state of Texas. You've formed an opinion about Dan Patrick at this point, most likely. Uh, and frankly, people all over the nation have formed an opinion about Dan Patrick. Most likely, so it's true his spending isn't going to influence a lot of voters. The spending that Mike Collier and Matthew Dowd do, maybe that can.
1: This race, at the end of the day, this this race more than probably anything else is likely to draw people out for the for the Democratic primary. Mm-hmm. Not maybe not as much for the general election, but for the Democratic primary, this is a competitive race that's likely to get people to show up at the polls.
0: Which is kind of odd to have a Democratic primary in Texas that actually
1: gets people going. We don't we don't see that a lot. Exactly. That's that's why it's so unusual. That's why I'm glad you asked these questions, Teresa. It
2: was it was interesting. I I appreciated the opportunity to be able to speak with them this early in the race because I think it's some people may say, "Hey, it's too early. The election is a long ways away." But let's start. Figuring out policy-wise where these people stand and and hold them accountable as we get closer to the election and see if they if they waver on anything if they change.
1: Yeah, and the Democratic primary for the record's not that far away. We're what uh, five six months out depending yep. on whenever redistricting gets done. So it's it's not that far off. So this campaign's
2: this, never end, do it, they? It
1: never <laughs> ends. The ads can't be far away. <laughs> You guys can come uh, advertise on on Yolotix if you want to. It's Jay Wheeler at. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right, I, I'm done with my dim berries. How did you like the pantalones? I
0: liked it. I liked the adios pantalones, yeah. and I figured I would just from the it is good the beer. name.
1: I was going to have it, but I had it once before on the program. And so my motto this. in life: Teresa's on her third pint right now, so we probably need to let her go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> let her lay down. I got to get my Uber. <laughs> I got to get my Uber home. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to uh, Yolitics. Always appreciate it. Uh, if if you're Remember, too, don't forget we have a phone number. We do. Call us and leave us a message. We'll use it on the podcast. I'm going to prank call you guys. <laughs> we, mm, we, we decide what those. goes on the podcast. <laughs> our phone number, 214 977 6020. 214 977 6020. Teresa, you're welcome on the program or our Thank voicemail you. anytime. so <laughs> we'll uh, Slide into yeah, your VMs. Slide into our <laughs> VMs anytime you want. Uh, good deal. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it, and thanks to Taller Patio, Taller, Taller, like the duck like dog. the dog, like the duck, dog. It's not just the, like the not dog, not the duck. Not the duck. The duck. Thanks to Taller no for having us as well.